Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, join not as always. July is crazy. Um, I've been traveling. You guys have been traveling. We've been kind of like um, just getting whatever whatever two are together together. But it's you and me today. And uh, the the boy Ronnie is uh, is on like a fake fly fishing trip. Did I hear this correctly? I have uh, I have friends who listen to the show and and he's out doing something masculine, which is which is wild. Well, um, to, to Phil, be fair, to be fair, it, yeah. but you know, in his own description, he is going with guys who are doing that while he enjoys uh, the whatever sort of lodge accommodations they have, and he was amused yeah. at his own presence on this trip. So that's uh, I, I think that's probably. You know, he he was not he was not posing as uh, you know as an outdoorsman yeah. or something. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I hope the lighting is good in the lobby for the Instagrams, and they'll come back after a day of fly fishing, and he will have like written a poem about an acorn and taken some pictures of himself. But uh, that's wild, pipe. I have more. I actually have more to ask you on fly fishing, um, and more to ask you about about this trip and trips in general. We'll get into all that right after this quick break. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right, pipe. Um, do you remember like the the first like Christians with money fly fishing boom in like the late nineties? Did that get to you up in up in Minnesota? It, it kind of came on the heels of a movie called The River Runs Through It that was kind of the first big Brad Pitt thing. Do you remember this? I I do remember River Runs Through It, and in classic Christian fashion, seven years late because that movie came out in like yes. nineteen ninety three. So if it was the late nineties, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. oh yeah, perfect timing. We're only six or seven years behind the behind the arc on this. I kind of remember it, but like I was young enough. Well, two things. One, I was young yeah. enough that I didn't totally register it, and also my dad's preaching scared away all the people with money. From our church? Yes. So we, oh, yeah. we didn't have totally. a lot of rich people doing luxurious things at our church. Um, yeah. And we didn't have sort of the, uh, you know, like the, the West Michigan money or like yeah. the small town thing where there's like a bunch of working class people and then like two or three families who are like the, the whales. Uh, yeah, dude, that's legit. That's a real thing. Oh, yeah. For it, sure. It, it, but we didn't, you know, we... We didn't really have that. And so I was generally aware of it. Also, I think in Minnesota, it might have been a little different just because it's such a late culture anyway that like 
Yeah. Fly fishing, like a fly fishing excursion doesn't make sense when somebody's like, I'm out on the lake fishing for walleye every weekend anyway during the, you know, yeah. between between Memorial Day and, you know, snow. So, well, and in the winter when it gets cold, I'm drilling a hole in the ice and I'm ice fishing. Right. Maybe. So, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Down in Indiana where I was, it was a it was a real interesting thing because the only like rich Christian older dudes I had access to were like Taylor profs. And they weren't rich because Taylor was paying them a lot. They were rich because they went to Taylor and you, you have to kind of be rich to go there. So they had money. A river runs through, it comes out. And then uh, all of a sudden, they're like eschewing golf, right? So golf is the traditional like pit that you throw money into and light it on fire because you can constantly be like buying gear and different crap for the sport and all that. And then all of a sudden, they're all like, oh, I got my new waders. I'm teaching myself to tie flies. And it was all kind of the same type of guy. They weren't really like outdoorsmen. They were sort of like, I have money. I want to think of myself as an outdoorsman. I saw this movie. Something about it resonated with me. I want to be a certain kind of guy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do these my, trips. So, my, like, cul- my cul-de-sac is depressing. My cul-de-sac is depressing. I'm bored at work. Um, I, I want to be a, I want to be like Brad Pitt and the river runs through it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go take this trip and do this thing. And so as a result, I feel like I know what every single person on Ronnie's trip looks like without being on the trip. You know, um, I, I can describe them all. See, perfectly, I, I would, but. I would make one slight adjustment to your description and, and it is that the people who were doing this didn't want to be like Brad Pitt. Who was the dad? Was it Tom Skerritt? Dude, it was Tom Skerritt. Yeah. Great they memory They wanted to be you. Tom Skerritt, this grounded man of faith who's who's trying <laughs> yeah. to like he's got he's got sons who he deeply loves and one of them is sort of prodigal sonish. And so yeah. they wanted to be the like the the deep man of substance with a cool mustache. Yeah. Uh much more than like the the hot young guy. Like you resonated with yeah. Brad, Brad Pitt cuz you were like 19 totally. or 20 at the time. Uh, they yeah. resonated with Tom Skerritt, which is a sentence I never thought I would say about anybody. <laughs> I wanted to be Brad Pitt minus the fishing. But uh, but yeah, no, they definitely resonated with Tom Skerritt. Um, yeah, firm hand spiritually, two kids who hate me. You know, uh, it all, it all kind of checks out. But uh, that was actually a great movie that I need to revisit. I haven't seen that one in over yeah, a that, decade. Now, that movie probably. to me was like reading To Kill a Mockingbird in school. In that mm-hmm. everybody said it was awesome, and I abhorred it, hated it so really? much. Well, I was like twelve, so yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, that you movie were too came young. out, and I was yeah. like, "This yeah. sucks. This is so boring. They don't do anything." Sure. And yeah. uh, and then you know, like To Kill a Mockingbird, I read it in my you know in my adulthood, and was like, "Oh, I get it now." And I haven't yeah. revisited A River Runs Through It for because my lasting impression is this movie is terrible. And yeah. which means I'm trusting my 12 year old self, which is not, that's not a great way to go through life. Um, so I, I need to revisit it to see how quality it actually is. Dude, what's interesting about it is that it's, it's almost like a lighter version of legends of the fall, okay. which was another movie that yeah. Brad Pitt did a little bit later in the nineties, which I absolutely love. Um, really, really kind of heavy family epic, uh, about sin with like a little crackle of redemption in it. Um, but no fly fishing, which is why older Christian dudes with money didn't resonate with legends of the fall much, 
like they did with uh, a reverence through it. But uh, thoughts and prayers with Ronnie. Hopefully they have a good internet connection there in the lobby for all of his Instagram. I hope he comes uh, back with a Tom scared quality mustache. He's not going to come back with a Tom scared quality, anything. I hate to break it to you. (laughs) If anything, he'll be, he'll come back driven uh, more further into the, the kind of position that he, that he already occupies, which is like, I'm not a masculine guy. I'm the arty guy, which which this is a good trip for him in that he like he gets to be in a beautiful vistas kind of place, but he gets to be the unique guy that's kind of like um, different. You know, um, this this trip was actually made for him. Um, so I, I think it's going to make him happy. He's going to have a lot of good a lot of good pictures as a result of it. Um, but pipe another thing, another trip that people could get a lot of good pictures out of. Uh, it's a little trip to Indianapolis in September uh, for the Happy Rant live show. Uh, the last live show. The last show. Um, what are the details on that pipe? Where can they get tickets? Uh, why should they get tickets? Well, uh, as Simon Sinek once said, start with why. So let's let's mm. lead off with that in true leadership fashion. Um, mm. The reason to get tickets to the show, as Ted said, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of... Um, um, morning, if you will, because this is a farewell show. This will be our, our ride off into the sunset. So it will be our last ever live show. Uh, we intend for it to be our last ever podcast. And, uh, and, and for that reason, we're actually going to try. Um, I don't know if that'll make it better, but we are going to try. Uh, we have, we have a couple of sponsors lined up with some great giveaways. Josh Byers of visual theology is designing custom t-shirts, for people uh, who get who get tickets, and uh, his work is spectacular. It's going to be awesome. I think it'll be a blast. We'll have a great time. So the details are September twenty fourth. That's a Sunday, uh, seven p.m. It's going to be at Soma Church Midtown um, in Indianapolis, just a few minutes from where the Gospel Coalition Conference will be held. So if you're planning to be there for TGC, come in a little bit early. Or Indianapolis is easy driving distance from like half the country. So just pop on over yep. for it. And um, if you go to thehappyrant.com and click on the live show, you can get all the details there. So you don't need to remember any of this. And uh, we have two tiers of tickets. We have a $35 ticket. And then we have a $50 ticket that includes that custom T-shirt that is unique for this event. And uh, a, a whole bunch of you have already bought tickets. So we're going to have a great crowd, which which enhances the whole event because we love interacting with our listeners. We love the Q&A times. We love the times between uh, the recorded episodes where we get to just mingle with folks. Uh, so having a crowd there is going to be awesome. It should be a blast. September 24th, Indianapolis. Go to thehappyrant.com to get your tickets. Dude, I love it. That's my absolute favorite venue of all time. Indianapolis is a great, underrated American city. It's super easy to navigate and super fun to be in. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And and Pipe, I'm starting to get uh a, a little bit happening in the old emotions when i think about closing the show down and i'm i'm starting this is a 100 percent earnestness now the emails are starting to trickle in from people about um ver- various hard seasons of life that they've been in where for for whatever reason listening to the rant was like the the, the one little ray of sunshine in their life and uh yeah i'm i'm starting to become moved by those things so uh <laughs> i don't be... i don't laugh i, I just laugh because you say starting to become moved it's like your, your cold icy yeah. heart is thawing 
Yeah, it's weird. I don't have a cold icy heart, as right. you know. I'm I'm quick to show emotion and but but I haven't felt especially emotional about this, but it's it's starting, you know. And I think being there in Indy, being in my old city, being with a room full of people, like it's it's going to be an interesting night, man. It's going to be kind of wild. Yeah. And uh I look forward to it. Yeah, I you know, I there's the old phrase like you know we laughed we cried and generally speaking our shows are just we laughed you know (laughs) we laughed and we left um yeah and it's possible there could be crying at this i don't know i mean it i have gotten responses from people you know we periodically get listener feedback that is um that kind of catches me off guard because of how heartfelt it is in like you said in terms of um how this show and it's sort of lightheartedness not taking ourselves seriously has has played a role in seeing people through difficult times, difficult church situations, loss of loved ones even, which yeah. astounds me because yeah. we I don't think we think of this as important. No. And so that no, we don't. That piece yeah. I mean and and ultimately I don't think those people think of this show as important. Right. You know, in terms of like what we say is especially profound as much as just it's a little bit like old friends. You know, you just they're sort yeah. of we're, we're the pleasant old friend, sort of a nostalgic thing. Also, I forget that when you do something for a decade, um, y- you actually can become part of someone's life. Yeah. And there's, no, that's true. there's a weird reality where when we sit in our own, you know, home studios, which in my case mm-hmm. is a desk in my bedroom with a microphone. <laughs> yeah. You don't feel yeah. super personally attached to who is listening because you can't. Right. And so yeah, to hear that yeah, back, right. it's really meaningful, but it is, it, it's also really, uh, it catches me off guard. So yeah, I am, uh, I'm very excited and, and I don't know how I will feel in a room with, I don't know, 75, 100, 150 listeners, um, yeah. who, who have a, a distinct relationship with this show. Yeah, totally. And, um, I, I appreciate that they do have that relationship and, and I can tell you, and you'll resonate with this as a writer. It's a different kind of relationship than you get as a writer. Like we've both, you know, by God's grace, been able to write books about which occasionally people email and say, you know, it really resonated with me or it really helped me through a hard time or I I really enjoyed just reading your work or whatever. And that is a certain kind of relationship, but it's not, you know, people aren't reading our book every week for 10 years, you know. Um, and the, the, the relationship that you have with the podcast is a different kind of relationship. So, um, so yeah, I, I dare say I'm going to be a little earnest and sappy and probably emotional when we, when we do the live show, probably more than I would like to be, but, um, but it's going to be cool, man. And I, I look forward to it. And I, I think, and this transitions into something else that I wanted to talk about. I think there's something to be said pipe for Christians like grieving well, and not just when somebody dies, but like transitions in life or um, things ending. Like even, you know, for me with these camp gigs, I have such a a deep connection, as as deep as it can be in a week. You know, yeah. like you're you're preaching twice a day. Um, you're talking to kids all day long about their lives. Sometimes it's hard stuff. Sometimes it's just fun, ha-has. But you know, you're talking to people and you feel like you're really a part of each other's lives for a week and then you leave. And this is sort of the problem with camp, right? Like as a, as a camper or as a speaker, you, you make these like camp friendships. And then as you're driving away, whether you're a camper on a bus or me in a car, like you you feel sad, you know? And, um, there's a sense of, 
you want to put things in their proper place and do justice to it and not just take advantage of whatever technologies at your fingertips to like forget about it as quickly as possible and quash the emotion, you know? So I, th- I think as Christians, we could get better at like grieving things well. And and for me, like nobody taught me how to do it like that. That's something I learned like way later into adulthood, but I am glad that I've learned it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's, it's interesting because, uh, several years ago I had a friend who, uh, you know, was, was going through, she, she was making kind of a, a lifestyle transition where like she had never been a heavy drinker, but, but she, uh-huh. she drank some and she had a little bit of alcoholism in her family. And so she was like, I'm going to give up drinking. And, mm. and somebody told her, you know, you know, she was, it was a hard, it was a hard change for her. And somebody sure. told her, um, you know, oh, you're going through a grieving process. And at the time I thought that's absurd. Like just, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah. Just buck up kind of thing. And yeah. I think as I've, you know, in the years since and walking with different people through different hard things and just my own, my own hard things, realizing there is an element of grieving at, at, at any loss of significance. If something of significance mm-hmm. goes out of your life, like, you know, even if you've had a car for 10 years and then it gets totaled, there's a sense of like loss, you know? Yeah. Totally. And so that's, uh, it, it, it is something where I, it, that sounds petty or fragile or, or, you know, overly sappy, but I think there is a sense in which there's a grief that's appropriate to the loss. And what we're not yeah. good at as Christians is recognizing that anything smaller than like the death of a loved one or a national tragedy deserves grief, you know? Yeah. No, so they, you're, you're what, absolutely what, right. The, the yeah. grief has to sort of fit the loss, but losses bring about grief. And so we can acknowledge that and, and be fine with it. Yeah, totally. And and life is full of little losses. You know, I, I remember, I know I've told this story before, probably on the show, but the day that my son Tristan started college, we had to like scrap a Cadillac that had been in our family for like a decade. I it wrote was mine in that and Cadillac. I, yes, you did, dude. It was mine. And then I sold it to my son when he got his license. He bought it from me and he loved it. And yeah, first day of him starting college, you know, it coincided with the car like breaking down and we had to take it to the scrapyard and and man we we both shed a few tears that morning because that you know it was a part of our life and a lot of memories were made in it and then it was his first vehicle and and you know it it would have been easy to like especially for a couple of kind of uh hyper masculine dudes to like stuff that down and then and then it would come out as anger later you know it would come out in like less great ways later on and i know this because i you know did that for the better part of my life. Um, but yeah, I think for him and me grieving it together was, was a good thing. We could thank the Lord for it and for all the good times we had and and then let it go, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's some, some good in that pipe. I want to take a break. I want to come back. I want to close the book on booms. I want to run a couple of other like booms in, uh, in kind of adult male life by you and then talk a little retirement. We'll do all that after this quick break. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. 
Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Piper. Thinking about the fly fishing boom made me think about both the cigar boom and the poker boom. I feel like all these coincided with like the internet starting... Uh, the poker boom coincided with a movie called Rounders, a Matt Damon movie Absolutely. from like the late nineties. Hundred percent. And the cigar boom. I don't know what started it. Actually, Spurgeon. Um, maybe Spurgeon in the Christian community. I don't know what started it in like the regular community. Maybe like Michael Jordan smoking cigars while he golfed or whatever. But uh, did you participate in either of those two booms? Uh, definitely, definitely yes to one and pretty, pretty definitely not to the other. <clears throat> I was never yeah. a poker guy. I, uh, okay. I just, I hate games in general. Like I tried to like poker. <laughs> Dude, that's so interesting. And yeah. More on that. It, well, I've always had friends who, you know, there's like the settlers of Catan friends or the, oh, yeah. um, I, you know, board game, strategy game friends. And like nothing oh, is yeah. more soul sucking to me than those games. They, I, I yeah. hate them. I don't hate the people who play them. It's just like, right. I mean, it's, it, it's like, it's like if somebody invited me to come over and like change the brakes on his car, I'd be like that. <laughs> that's a you thing. Like, I'm really yeah. glad you enjoy that. I do yeah. not want to spend a third of my Saturday doing that thing. Um, yes. So, and poker falls into that. It, it feels the same way, even though it's much more sort of social, interactive, trash talking, whatever. Yeah. Like it does involve a lot of things that I enjoy, which is hanging out with guys who I like. It yeah. us- usually involves beverages that are that, that are delicious. Uh, yeah. Depending on the context, there may be smoking involved, which is another thing that yep. I enjoy. Yep. Um, yeah. And I just don't enjoy the game. I don't enjoy gambling. Uh, it, and it not yeah. not. It's not really a moral thing as much as they like, I don't get any pleasure out of it. So I skipped the poker thing, although I thought Rounders was a great movie. So- yeah, dude, Rounders was was such a cool movie. And I remember very much, so Rounders happened when I was like, you know, just getting married in my early 20s. And dudes would like, as a result of Rounders, dudes were like getting poker sets and like starting poker nights. And... I always remember thinking, this is really cool in theory. And then I would go and I would play and I would come back and it'd be like, oh, I just spent six hours away from my wife. I don't know. I lost like $12 or whatever. And um, I didn't enjoy the game that much. I, I think I'm exactly like you in terms of like board games, tabletop games, card games. Like I like them in theory, but then whenever I do them, I'm always just kind of like, huh. 
I could have watched, you know, two and a half hours of tape, like football games, or I could have watched boxing, or I could have chatted with somebody, or I could have done literally anything else that I like doing, and it would have been better than that. Um, so yeah, it never it never really took off for me. And I think to really enjoy poker, and maybe Settlers of Catan is like this, you have to be a certain kind of like strategic math guy. Yeah. And I'm not that guy. <laughs> no. Um, I'm just not a strategic math guy at all. I'm I'm a guy who like I can embody the vibes of rounders and I I love Vegas. I love like you know CD back room like have to know the secret handshake kind of like scenarios. I enjoy that stuff very much, but like the actual poker playing always left a little to be desired for me. Yeah, and I I feel very much like I could I could write a thousand words about a guy's poker night that would be more interesting than the game of poker. Um, and <laughs> yeah, very it, true. just resonating with what you said about things that I do well and things that I don't do well. I don't know how to mm-hmm. do those games well, and I I understand the principle. That's the thing is it's not like it's not it's yeah. not being a novice. It's just like my brain doesn't click this way. However, I could write yeah. a really funny essay about these guys hanging out together or something like that. <clears throat> Um, Yeah, and it speaks to something really interesting, which is, and not to get all like, I'm the 35-year-old small groups pastor at your church with a Jesus fish tattoo or whatever, but like, (laughs) it speaks to the idea that men do want to hang out. Yes. You know, and I I remember thinking about the cigar boom and the poker boom specifically, and the fly fishing boom, to be honest, like dudes just want to hang out. They want to know and be known, and... It, it it seemed kind of silly that we have to have a poker game to like justify it, you know, like we could just hang out, um, you know, and, and I think that's what I like about the cigar boom. You know, it's very much like, yeah, light up a cigar if you want, if it makes you feel masculine or whatever, but really we're just hanging out and talking, you know, which is what we wanted to do anyway. And uh, I happen to love cigars. So, you know, it's a, it's a win-win for me, but um but that boom, that boom kind of gave Christian dudes permission to hang out uh, in ways that they kind of hadn't had before. And I do like that about it, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that <clears> – <throat> I think the cigar boom has matured because the, yeah. the poker boom always felt like – you know, there was like 8% of the guys who loved poker. There was yeah. 80% of the guys – who loved hanging out. And then there was a bunch of us who were like, I would love to hang out. I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's dumb. Yeah. Um, whereas cigars, it, it start. there was a pretense around it. Where like, if you didn't smoke mm-hmm. a cigar and you didn't hang out, like what's the matter with you grow a pair kind of thing. And mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's that immature type of response. Yeah. And then there yeah. were guys who didn't feel like they could come. Cause like, Oh, it's a cigar night. I don't smoke cigars. And what I feel like yeah. it's matured to now is, there are guys who really love cigars and guys who don't. And yeah. so you go hang out and smoke cigars and the guys who don't want to like bring their 40 ounce clean canteen of water and still hang out. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally yeah. fine. And so it's just, be- yeah. it's become a thing, which I think is more like what cigars were, you know, like in Spurgeon's day, those who liked them, smoked yeah. them, you know, after dinner you yeah. go and you pour, you know, port or whatever and have a cigar and the guys who yeah. want one, want one. And the guys who don't, don't, but there's just this sort of time sure. together. I, yeah. So the, the poker boom died because it couldn't mature. I think the, yeah. the cigar thing has not gone away. It's just sort of grown up. Yeah, no, it has. And it's, 
it's aged better because I think it's more enjoyable to more people. You know, there was always going to be a ceiling on the number of guys who actually enjoyed playing poker. Yeah. Um, you know, despite it being... Remember, remember when poker was like... You would flip on ESPN2 any time of the day or night and poker was on it. This, this would have been like, you know, 2001 to 2011 or whatever. It oh, it, just like, it oh my genuinely gosh. infuriated me. Yeah, me too. Because I'm like, I, like, I want to watch a sport. I know. Yeah. I want to watch a sport. I want, And I realize it's entertainment and sports network or whatever. But I'm like, this isn't even entertaining. Yeah. This is utterly boring. I, I would rather watch highlights from a 1983 Celtics game or something. Like, just oh, anything. Totally. Yeah. Play an old game. Play an old fight. Like, anything Show me some other bloopers. than, like, some... Yeah, some guy with a paunch and, like, bags under his eyes with a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. Like staring at a at a handful of cards you know it just it just seemed like fundamentally um opposed to what espn purported to be but uh yeah no crazy pipe let's take a break um on the other side of it i want to talk about ideal retirement jobs we'll be back what impacts you every day there is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Okay, we're back. Piper, you posed this question in our, uh, in our chat. Uh, what do you want to do job-wise after you retire from your main thing? So for you, it would be pastoring. For me, it will be... Um, professoring ostensibly if Christian higher ed survives the next decade. But uh, what do we want to do in retirement? I think this is a fascinating question because it presupposes that we will want to do something, which in my case, and I think in yours is actually true. I'm not one of these guys who like thinks about retirement as just this exercise and sort of waking up in the morning and wondering how I'm going to kind of pleasure myself you know um i i do think about what i want to do in retirement what what kind of thoughts do you have on it yeah i i think i think retirement in general is sort of fundamentally opposed to human flourishing the mm. the especially when people are like i want to retire at 65 i'm like these days 65 means you have 20 years of life left and yeah 20 years of doing nothing productive sounds like actual living hell to me um, I agree. Now, I do think there's there's a downshift in pace. You know, you mm -hmm. there's a period of life where you're sort of maximally uh, energetic and and maximally capable, kind of skilled in your field, and that usually like yeah 
usually like in your 30s, you reach the point where you know enough and have enough energy to be really good. And that carries you through your 40s. And then in your Mm -hmm. 50s, you know a ton and you start to slow down a little bit. And that's why like in your 60s, you, you probably have the most expertise but also physically are slowing down more. And so you, you downshift. So, yeah, but anyway, I, I can't imagine doing nothing no, at some point in I, my life. Like I need to wake up and go, what am I going to put my hand to today? Even if it's just a project or something. So that's kind of the premise of this. And it was also, it's also the premise of kind of the sad side of this is where, you know, you go into, you go into like a fast food joint and you see like a 78 year old woman wiping down tables. And yeah. sometimes those, those ladies are joyful. Like they, mm-hmm. they're greeting mm-hmm. people. They love it. They, 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 they give the sense of loving it. Other times yeah. you're like, this is, ne- this is out of necessity. And that yeah. feels sad to me. Um, mm-hmm. So all of that goes into my thought process here. But the way that the, the way that the, uh, the, in my mind, though, I'm just—it's much more—it's much more romantic than that. It's a picture of what what kind of old man do I see myself being? Like, yes, you know, where do yeah. I picture myself being an old man doing what? So it, it's kind of yeah. that thought, not so much like, oh, well, the math is going to add up to this and yada yada. My four hundred one k, whatever. That's boring. Right. Who cares? So right. that's the that's the picture I have in my mind. Is like, what is, you know, what is it? What is a seventy eight year old me doing? Uh, yeah. and, and that, that's the, that's the, the posture of the, of the question. That's really good, dude. And it's, and it's really fun to think about. And I, I want to say something in response to what you just said before we say the things that we maybe could see ourselves doing. I do know people who do nothing and I'm not going to say who they are because it would hurt feelings, but I, I, I know like old people who were kind of in that, like, north of 65 but well south of death window who just have a ton of money and do nothing and i i i don't have the courage to do this but i I would love to interview them and be like how do you do it you know like because i look at their lives and i and i think this looks miserable because there's no purpose to your life there's no reason for you existing how do you do it? But but that would that would really hurt their feelings. Um, but I am curious, you know what I mean? But I, I think the vast majority of us exist in the other camp, which is, yeah, a week or two of that, and I would be climbing the walls, you know? I, I And I've been this way since childhood, and I gather that you are this way too. And this is a spiritual issue, is true, strong a word, but I think it's a spiritual situation. Like, I need to know why i exist you know what i mean i i need to know in general kind of why the lord has me on the planet whether that's to write stuff or mow lawns or whatever it is i need to know that i have a purpose beyond just planning my next trip you know or my next cruise or whatever it is um yeah i i don't there is a real distinct sort of moral and theological component to this for me and i I don't yeah. want a soapbox, but maybe I can't help it. I don't know. The mm-hmm. we were not put here to simply exist and to simply use resources. Right. We were put here for the good, like to to contribute to the good, the good of the yeah. good of the body of Christ primarily, but the good of creation. Like, what are we doing that matters? And yeah. And and if we are spending twenty percent of our lives 
doing jack crap, we that that is a profoundly self-centered mindset. And I mm-hmm. I'm not picking on individuals as much as a mindset that has been handed down by I would say the kind of the baby boomer generation where mm-hmm. like the goal is to earn as much as possible so you can do as little as possible. Yes. That's just unbiblical. Like that is Yeah. Unless you're earning as much as possible so you can give it all away or be as generous as possible, benefit others, help others. But again, there's purpose in that. You're doing something with your money, whether it's you know funding organizations or helping out families or whatever. So it, that's yeah. kind of the premise of this for me. It's not you know, the ugly side of that is I need to earn the right to exist, you know, sort of a sense of like frantic. Yeah. Uh, I need to be able to look in the mirror and feel good about myself. That's, yeah. that's also unbiblical. Yeah. But, but there is a sense of like, if I have breath in my body and energy in my bones, like I should be yeah. doing something to, to benefit somebody. Even if it's just like, I watch grandkids for an hour a day to give yes. to give daughter a break or something like that. Like that that really yeah. matters. Those things are significant. Dude, those things are significant and they're noble and they're they're worth wanting. You know what I mean? And yeah, this is this is a really interesting one because and this is going to sound like a meme, you know, it's it's become one. But like he- hearing your dad talk about this, I don't know, x number of years ago whenever I heard it was like actually really helpful for me because I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of how I've always felt about it. Like, I'm, you know, I, I want to exist for some purpose that's larger than just going on vacation or whatever. And so that, that was helpful, but yeah, you don't, I think so quickly in our camp pipe, like things, things that are aspirational and good like that become law because we, you know, we get our hands on them and we wring the life out of them and we, (laughs) we just make them into law. Like, like you have to, work after you're retired give yourself two weeks and then go you know work or whatever and yeah like i want my life to have purpose i want to be i want to be a servant right like i want to serve people i want to serve my church and my family lord willing and um you know all these things hopefully will matter to me then so i've got a couple of ideas and i want to i want to hear you on yours um obviously there's the like outlandish dreams like i don't know maybe i'll own a minor league baseball team or whatever which i'm sure won't be the case but that would be fun i think more realistic for me i've got two so i'm thinking 65 68 70 hopefully i can still move around some i hope i'm still coaching the long snappers at lane college um Lord willing, there yes. will still be college football then. Uh, we'll still be here. I'll still have a relationship with Lane. We just had our, uh, we just opened camp, you know, a few days ago. So I've been out working with our long snappers. And dude, it, I absolutely love it. I'm reminded every year how much I enjoy being out there in the heat, you know, working with, with these guys. And I think at 70, I could still be doing that, you know, and that would be a lot of fun. The other one that I think would be cool is I, I wouldn't mind like cutting the grass at my college. Um, so we, we got a lot of, we, we got it. a lot of, ac- yeah, we got a lot of acreage there at union and my son Maxim is working full time on the grounds crew this summer yep. and they have, they have really nice mowers. And sometimes I'll look out my office window and I'll see him like, you know, kind of ripping around on those nice like zero turn mowers. And I'll think, yeah, you know, 
I, I could see myself doing that after I retire from the classroom. I'll still be around. It'll still be like fun to be on a college campus ripping around on a mower. I could see it. I like cutting the grass. Man, I, I did grounds crew a couple summers at Wheaton. And, uh, you know, because I, I just I stayed there between school years. And it was it was a fun job. Like, it's hard work. You know, it's basically yeah. landscaping. Yeah. But there was so, – so there's one or two full-time guys who – they're they're just like yep. the full time grounds crew guys, and you know they're they seemed really old to me. They were they were probably late fifties, early sixties. Yep. But like one of them was a total jerk. Like he thought all the kids were a nuisance. I'm like, why do you work at a college if you hate nineteen year olds? <laughs> yeah. The yeah, other one sure. was just a blast. Like he's the one whose crew you wanted to be on because he kind of set the pace. Like you didn't want to outwork him because he'd make fun of you. But he worked mm-hmm. hard enough that you would get the job done. And he's the one who set breaks yeah. and he had a good sense of humor and, you know, that kind of. And like the, the old guy working with the college kids is a he's a gift to the 19 year old who's sweating during the summer, yep. you know, laying down mulch or whatever. Yeah, that's an awesome guy to be, you know, to be to be the awesome old guy. And, dude, it's so funny you say that because. The, the two old guys running the department is actually like exactly the model at Union. And um, it's just, yeah, it's really funny that that, that model kind of hasn't changed. But I, I could see a lot, of, a lot of joy in being just an old guy on the crew. What, what about you for like retirement-esque gigs or way, ways to spend yeah. your time? So I think the, the outlandish one is uh, – so first of all, just premise is that – I think it's wise for people in pastoral ministry to retire before they think they need to or to step away mm. from because there's just there's a benefit in a good handoff, you know, and yeah. you don't yeah. want you don't want to be forced out. You don't want people to, to wish you were gone. <laughs> you want people sure. to miss yeah. you when you're gone. And then but also to set up the next guy for success, and, you know, like That's the right. young guy who's probably 40. Um, mm-hmm. at, so so I. So I anticipate, assuming that the Lord gives me the fortitude and wisdom to do these things, stepping out of a full-time role before I need to, which leaves me with, you know, 15, 20 years of probably enough energy to do stuff. So the, uh, yeah. the sort of like pipe dream, and I have no idea what the, what the track to this would be, is like bartender at a neighborhood bar. Oh my gosh, dude, that rips. And that would be unbelievable. And and not not like not like some hipster Nashville bar, but I'm thinking like uh right. like there's a place down the street from me called Jolly Ollie's. Yeah. And uh, it's a pizza and pub. And which means that like they're make, they're not they're not doing like nobody's coming in and asking for an espresso martini. You know, you're Yeah, you're, you're pulling beers. You're pulling beers, like, you're making fun of people yeah. for their order, you're kicking out drunks. You know, yeah. you're, you're chopping it up with, you know, rednecks and whatever families yeah. come in. Like it's, it's a little bit. So that yep. kind of joint, like that would be oh. fun to me. And, and there, there, there's a few other places where it's more like, you know, it's, it's kind of just the bar. Like you come in and it's like just a row of seats and maybe a couple tables yep. and that yep. kind of thing. I, I could see that. And again, not like full time, but, but you know, some, yeah. some weeknight shifts, that kind of thing. Yeah. Would be, I think that'd be a ton of fun, and uh, and I think there's a fair amount of overlap between bartending and pastoring when it comes to uh, people interaction. Dude, I was just gonna say that, and I, I was gonna ask, like, how are you with sad drunks? Because I think I'm I'm pretty good with them. Um, yeah, there there would there would be a fair 
amount of ministry in a job like that because you're gonna you're gonna encounter some sad drunks and uh, yeah and i think i'm fairly decent with them but then and this is a distinct parallel between bartender and pastors you reach a point where you go shut up and go home like yeah you fine you you can moan about this or you can do something about this but what you can't do is sit here so yeah (laughs) and so i think there are some parallels that i realize as a pastor you don't tell people shut up but that's sure you, you find it you find a very christian way of being like You've talked enough about this. Go take yeah. some steps to to work on this problem, and uh, yeah. and so there's a yeah. I, I can see some parallels. You know, you got to deal with some rowdies. You occasionally have to be like, y'all can't do that in here. <laughs> you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to take a hike. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I could see that job being a ton of fun. I also think like you know you talked about uh, you you talk about continuing to coach. Coaching is one of those things that I have always. Uh, thought I, I've done a little bit of it, but not in years. More like in my in my mm-hmm. college and just post college days, coach some baseball and stuff. But getting involved with like a local middle school, local high school to do mm. some baseball or football coaching at a yeah. not at like a head coach level. I don't want all that, but mm-hmm. uh, like skill skills coaching, position coaching. You know, I could I could coach a D line. Yeah. I could coach uh, I could coach yeah. infielders for a baseball team. Those yeah. kinds of things would be a lot of fun because one of the things that I really like just a big premise is I want to be an old guy who makes young people not feel like they're being crapped on by old people. Oh yeah. That's huge. What, in what, yeah, in whatever and, capacity. Yeah. We've all had coaches like that. I feel like every staff has kind of the wizened old guy on it. And you know, first day of camp, you're a freshman, you move in, that guy seems like a little old and gruff and you're like, oh, that guy's going to be mean. But then like, I don't know, middle of day two, you realize, oh, that guy's actually super cool. And he's actually like way less wound up than like the the young dudes on the staff and he's got nothing to prove. Yeah. Being that guy on a coaching staff is a super cool role to inhabit. And it's actually, it's more fun than being the cool young guy. And everybody thinks being the cool young guy is the is the move, but um, but yeah, no that that would be a a great when, one. I've always had an affinity for idiots too. Like I, you know when when mm-hmm. I when I did youth ministry, when I coached, when I, I mean even as a pastor, like the, the not like bad kids, but like just the kids who are just they're kind of causing a ruckus. I've always yeah. liked those kids. Those and yeah. when I say kids the, now, the I'm talking idiot. about like 27 year olds. At you know, yeah, yeah. A while back, it was 13 or 17 year olds, and and I think sure. being the old coach kind of puts you in a position to have a distinct impact on those young guys because because you can just like you can kind of absorb anything. Like what are they going to do? Shock yeah. you? And uh, yeah, and so and it, so it gives you the ability and the freedom to uh, to talk them up, to coach them, to appropriately challenge them as well as, as affirm yeah. them. And usually people are knuckleheads because they need attention and they need affirmation or they, they lack those things. And so if you can give it to them yeah. in the right way and then, you know, give them a direction, you've done some good work. hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Well said pipe. Well, we've, we've planned our retirements. Uh, these sound pretty good. If anything, I just kind of can't wait for the next 20 years to go by. So that <laughs> I, I know. can, can, we I get can kick already? this plan into high gear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, these are good. This is, uh, this has been fun pipe. It was good to, good to knock the rust off, get back in the studio, uh, do some radio pipe. We've done what we always do on this program. And until next time.
We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.